welcome to Kiwi Rider Podcast, New Zealand's premier motorcycling podcast made by Kiwi Riders for Kiwi Riders. My name's Ray Huron. Thank you very much for joining me for this uh, fourth edition, the fourth week of Motorcycle Awareness Month. Thank you very much, ACC and Ride Forever, for making this happen. Of course, if you complete, if you book and complete a Ride Forever course before the end of November, you're in the draw for $500, a $500 voucher to put towards anything motorcycling related you like. Could be towards a new bike, could be towards some gear, whatever you reckon. So get in and get yourself booked for a Ride Forever course. Complete that before the end of November. Go to rideforever.co.nz and thanks very much Ride Forever for sponsoring this episode. Hey, big news. Next week, we are off. We are off down the Molesworth for opening weekend and we are taking two absolutely outstanding bikes. The brand new Harley Davidson Pan America and the Suzuki V-Strom 1050, the DL1050, absolutely stoked, can't wait to do that. But matters to hand, this episode, I'm going to be catching up with Matthew Dare Gillett, we're going to be comparing notes on the Harley-Davidson Pan America, and let's catch up now with the fourth of our Motorcycling Awareness, Motorcycle Awareness Month ambassadors, all the way from the US of A, California in fact, it is Dave Moss. your motorbike is it set up is it ergonomically set up for you is it uh, has it fared well over the off season and there's no one better to talk to when we start talking about motorcycle setup than ergonomics and suspension tuning wizard dave moss all the way from california hello good morning to you raymond thanks for having me on for the uh, motorcycle awareness month Great to catch up once again, uh, and it's always fun talking to you about uh, the setup of our motorcycles. So uh, I guess let's let's start with the situation that a lot of motorcyclists across the country find themselves in. The bike might have been uh, in storage for the last, you know, three to five months. What what would be the first thing you'd do uh, to, before you get, get get out there on your bike? Well, oddly enough, um, um, I'm sure people will think twice about this because they never look for it, is cracks in the tyre from storage. It's not exactly balmy in New Zealand in winter. And if you're at higher elevations and you do experience snow and very cold temperatures, then the rubber on the motorcycle obviously is not going to fare too well. One of the big ones that people find is that when tyres are shipped internationally, they go up in an aircraft, which is cold. And if something bumps into the tires, moves the pallet around, you get cold cracks in shipping. Now, if your tires have been on the bike for a while and you haven't changed them for a few years because you really don't do that many kilometers a month, one of the first things you have to go look at is just look, look around the sidewall and see, do you have any cracks in the sidewall of the tire? Um, that's one of those things that people never, ever look for. They just check pressure. Do I still have some from the three months it's been sitting in the shed? Um, or if you're lucky, the garage, or if you're even luckier, a controlled temperature environment, which is much friendlier to the bike overall. So as odd as that sounds, it's one of the things that people miss right away. And it's, it's not necessarily, uh, in working with Sergeant Souter, one of the details they look for in the sidewall of the tire this time of year, if there is an accident, to go and investigate. But it's one of those topics, as we keep introducing information, um, that creates a really interesting talking point amongst riders 
because it's not the same old blurb. It's not the same thing. It's not the same rhetoric. Um, <clears throat> it's a new idea that will cause everybody to go, that's rubbish. Well, how do you know it's rubbish? <laughs> Have you checked your tires? No, I haven't. Then go and check them. And that just, as I've done every year when I've come over, is just to throw a few nuggets out there for people to leverage on. And you'll find somebody that's got plenty of cold cracks in the tire sidewall. And if they hadn't looked and if they hadn't checked, then that's just an accident waiting to happen. Fair enough. Um, okay, so we've checked our tires. What other checks could we do on a motorbike that, you know, has been in storage for a bit? A lot of times, because the motorcycles sat still, and almost every time, unless somebody's really careful, um, they don't take the wheels off and store them off the ground. Uh, the tire gets a lot of pressure. So depends on whether the tire is still in round. So that's one part. The other part is when the bike sits, the forks and the shocks sit in one position. So if there's any dirt and debris between the fork tube and the oil seal, then there's a little avenue for the oil to work its way up. And then that generally will either leak down the fork if you've got upside down forks, or it will sit on top of the oil seal and then it will gather and just create depth of oil so that when you get the bike out, and you push it out the driveway and you go for a quick ride, there's oil everywhere. So before you ride the bike, especially with telescopic forks or right side up, where you've got the big fat leg on the bottom and the small tube all the way up into the, into the triple clamps, pull the dust seals up and clean them. Blow it out, get all the dirt and debris out. If there's any oil in there, clean it all off. Um, for those that are a little more conscientious, using a seal saver device just to clean the oil seal out and get any dirt and debris out of the way. We'll save them a, f a big major oil seal failure and oil everywhere. It's a little more difficult on upside down forks, which are much more common today, but you still have to pull the dust seal down, but then you wipe the dust seal out because the oil has been sitting on it. And it's not unusual when you pull those dust seals down, especially on the left leg, which is the kick side or side stand leg, for there to be more oil than the other one because it carries more weight. And the hard part with upside down forks is that seal save is going to cause it to leak. So you have to keep the dust seals down and do that. So before you ride, it's really a good idea. Stand the bike up, check your tire pressures, get those sets, pull the dust seals up and out of the way. And then just gently nudge the front end with the brake on up and down a little bit and see if you get a ring of oil. And if you do, then there's the next step, which is to either use the seal saver and see if it worked or realize you got a leaky fork and instead of riding around and then getting fork oil on your brakes, which causes you to crash, which we don't want, you figure out right away there's an issue before you find yourself in trouble. Same goes for the rear shocks. Push them up and down. They have just the same as a fork. It's just that small shaft that goes inside the shock body. Is it leaking? Is it not? If you push down on a shock and it smacks right back out at you, just like you got an uppercut, then the nitrogen that was in the shock in the bladder area or the reservoir is inside the shock. So push the front end, push the back end. Does it feel normal? Do you have any oil leaks? There's the first part about preparation. In terms of before you even ride, you know you're not getting yourself in trouble from leaking oil from the suspension. Now, we've um, recently had another wee uh, lockdown due to COVID here in New Zealand, and uh, a lot of people are mentioning the uh, the COVID chin or the COVID 5 kgs. 
um, if we've uh, had a bit of time off over um, over the winter and and you know put on a, an extra couple of kgs like I might have, uh, now be a good time to uh, to reset up the sag and kind of adjust the suspension on the bike. Well, the bottom line there is self investment is never an issue, especially in times of stress. But there is a price to pay for that down the pipe, as you say, and your motorcycle is a primary pipe for that one. If you've put on somewhere in the region of 10 to 15 kilograms, then what you might find, might, because you're riding in spring when it's cold, is that your fork and shock travel is, is at maximum. Because of the extra weight, you make the suspension work extra hard. And because of that, you need to put a cable tie on the right fork leg and you need to observe your shock travel. If there's not an O-ring on it, just a tiny bit of grease on the shock shaft to leave a dirt ring. And when you go for your first ride, go at 70%. Take a look, take your time, off you go. Go around, spend about an hour on the bike to let your eyes begin to see and feel the speed again. Let your body and brain start to get your hand-eye coordination going, but go slow. And when you come back, have a look at how much travel you used on the forks and the shocks. Now, if your self-investment was very rich and you feel well-deserved, even at slow speeds, you may bottom your suspension out. So at that point, going, just taking a nice, leisurely 40 minutes to an hour ride, coming home and having a look, or halfway on the ride before you turn around and come back, have a look, which is better, then you know how to ride home to avoid any problems. If you ride out, it's cold, it's slow, oil temperature's slow, so suspension feels really hard because the oil won't heat up and it will not flow. And at that point, you're getting your teeth chipped, so you're going to ride slow because when you go home, you don't want red urine from being beaten to death by a motorcycle in freezing cold weather because the suspension won't work. So there's a self-fulfilling safety mechanism in there that works for everybody. But for those that don't take that first step, that first half an hour of the ride to just calm down, calibrate your eyes, feel the road, get your, get your timing back between hand-eye coordination and look at how much travel you're using, then you're just taking the motorcycle for granted. And as we all know, that's just a really, really bad idea. Now, you've spent a lot of time on track, uh, and I don't want to dwell too far on the track because most of our uh, viewers will yep. probably be uh, road riders. But um, if you spend a bit of time off the bike, um, now, motorcycling is more, and I've been, as it was explained to me, is, is more of a, a skill that you continually have to work on. If you take a bit of time off the bike, you're, you've got, your skills are going to start dropping. Um, on the track, if you haven't been on the track for a while, you're, you're going to take it easy, right, for the first day or half a day or first few laps at least. Um, is, that, is that a fair kind of assumption? I think, Ray, um, it's not an assumption. It's a fact. And you're talking about something there that's gospel. So I will stop riding at the track typically at the end of November, and I won't get on a bike again on a racetrack in the U.S. until March. When I get back on a bike, my first one to two sessions are no brakes, and I'm using the gearbox. My eyes aren't calibrated to speed. My timing is terrible. My coordination is all off, and I can't do the same thing twice. So no matter when I ride for the first time in spring, when I come over for the tours, my first ride literally is to go around Palmerston North and just 
get my eye in, feel the gearbox, feel the bike, feel how it turns, feel how it brakes. The track is no different at all. And the worst part about the track is because nobody's coming at you. There's no lanes. There's no rubbish on the track. There's nothing in the way. There's no driveways, no other cars. So it gives you an elevated sense of confidence. But what you don't realize is you're very, very forgetful about what you did last. And for those of us that want to go to the track to experience it and not get a speed achievement award from the uh, police for inappropriate behavior, um, going to the track is actually at the start of the season an absolutely brilliant place for you to go to safely and go ahead and just get your coordination back, all your timing. Everybody's going the same way. They're, they're the similar group pace. And at the start of the year, everybody's rusty. So would you rather clean your skills up on the track and just go do one or two track days just to wake your brain up and get your coordination back? Or would you rather go on the street and if you make one error, pay a heavy price? So personally, I hope everybody realizes that going to the track is a closed private road. And when you start your season, it is absolutely brilliant to go back out there in a super safe environment. And if something happens, medical's right there. But you've got the best opportunity in the world to say hello to your bike again. Find your spot, find your rhythm, smile, but do it in a way in a pace where your environment is really, really risk averse. And you come away from there much better off. Because when you go on the street for the first time, as we said, that first mistake, not fair to your family, your friends who have to pick up all the pieces, maybe take care of you, maybe heal you up, or worse, have to deal with an incident where you need a lifetime of care. Not appropriate, but people don't think of track days like that. Now, those of us that race that have been there for a long time, our first track day is all about getting up to speed. It is not about track records. It is not anything to do with going fast, ever. It's all about saying hello to the motorcycle again and introducing yourself to it and the track to bring back what you remember from last year. But you can't bring it back instantly because we're not robotic. Nobody's putting a chip in your head and you're not an arcade game where you can just go. So think of the track as a closed private road where you can bring your skills back in a really, really positive environment and go home feeling much better than going out on your first road ride, being scared to death because you missed a corner and then you missed another corner. And now what are you are going to do? Because you're obviously over your head, but a track won't let you get to that usually at the start of the year because the pace is so low. The other thing that I've said before as well, um, if you're not uh, you know, keen to get on the track, a good way to, uh, to kickstart your riding season would be a Ride Forever course. And you can find out more information about those at rideforever.co.nz. Uh, best case scenario, you learn something. Worst case scenario, you spend a day out with like-minded individuals, uh, out maybe checking out part of the country that you haven't seen before. I'm a firm believer in that too, because that's, if, if really you're coming back, you've only a couple of years of experience, the track might be daunting for you emotionally or mentally because you categorize it and project it in a certain way. Starting the year with a course, because I've done all of them, um, is a great way in a controlled environment where speeds, speeds are kept to your ability. 
in which you can literally, under, with great guidance from incredibly experienced instructors, get the, oi, you're doing this well, but hang on, you're missing this. So let's work on that for a bit. There's no substitute for experience. You can't get wisdom. It's not free. And it's learned by experience. So working with the multitude of incredible instructors that do the safety courses, irrespective of where you are, they have a second set of eyes that you don't have. And they can bring some insight to you. Before you go off on your next big ride, try working on this, this, and this. But for now, we're going to work on that. So that when you do go out on the ride, especially when it's your first one of the season, again, it's not that you're not taking the motorcycle for granted, but you might be taking your skills for granted. So taking a bronze, gold, or silver course makes perfect sense when you're a newer rider to just get yourself back on the motorcycle with supervision and leverage all that knowledge and wisdom that you don't have yet. Dave Moss, you're a mind of information. You've got so many nuggets of, of gold coming out of those years uh, every day. Um, if people want a little bit more information, they want some guidance, they want to know how to do a certain thing on their bike that you've talked about, where can they find your, uh, your videos, your content, and find more information about what you talk about? Um, so you can go, it's Dave Moss tuning across the board. If you Google that, um, please, I'm begging you, please put something after my name, like tires, suspension, forks, shocks, because there's over 25 years of work and you just get buried. So if you want something, Google my name and a topic and it'll pop up and you'll see it on Facebook, Instagram are the two popular sources. If you want more in-depth content, then the website um, has, I think now we're just over 1,700 pieces of work. And that's video, podcast, and apps. Um, so it's $10 US for the month, which I think is about, with current exchange, 15, 16 Kiwi a month. Um, or you can go in there and create your own free profile on the website at davemostuning.com and just have a look around. Get yourself a sense and taste of what, what's in there in information. If, if you're a typical Kiwi and you tinker, then you're going to be happy because there's so much information there in simple nuggets like you said, Ray, and thank you very much for that, that help you go step by step by step instead of you need to do this. And here's this PhD level barrage of information that just knocks you sideways and you go, you know what? I think I'll have some fish and chips instead. I'm not, that's too hard. <laughs> I don't know if you saw so, on social media the other day, Dave, but uh, I, I gave you a shout out because I cleaned the brakes on the Tenere 700. You, you mean that toothbrush you've had in your bathroom for ages actually made its way to the bike? Exactly. <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, and, and the great thing about getting you started and, and changing the MT-07 out with the straps in the roof and getting that job done I mean, it shows you it's not that hard. And with a bit of knowledge and, and that great Kiwi ability to tinker, it's not hard to actually have a go. And the beauty of being in New Zealand is there's plenty of people there willing to give you a hand on the simple stuff. In using a tape measure, taking a look at the way the tire is shaped, looking at a cable tie in the fork and shock travel in the rear. It's been brilliant 
and a really an honor to come to the country for the last, I think it's eight years now, excluding COVID, and go into communities and help them help each other. Um, and all I'm trying to do, as we've talked about before, is save a life every day through education and information. But when I leave, I'm trying to leave versions of me in cities, towns, so everybody helps each other. And it seems to be working in less accidents, um, less, co- less close calls, because when the bike sets up properly in a crisis, you can respond to that crisis versus you can react to it. So if you ponder those two words, they're very, very different in the way you approach a situation because respond means you have time. React means you ran out of time. And there's lots of reasons for that, the primary being ergonomics. Um, and there's plenty of videos on that. So we don't, don't really need to touch on that other than saying, would you ever rent a car and never move the seat and, steer, seat and the steering wheel for the period of rental? And if the answer to that is, well, that's stupid. Well, what have you done to your motorcycle to fit it to you? It's a good one to think about because we're not the same shape, size, don't wear the same gloves, we don't have the same shoe size, we don't have the same inseam. Yet a motorcycle is apparently meant to work for everybody on the planet. So good luck with that. But have a look at the ergonomics videos and get yourself comfortable because in a crisis you can respond. Dave Moss, thank you very much. And thank you for being a Motorcycle Awareness Month ambassador. Happy Motorcycle Awareness Month. DaveMossTuning.com. Thanks very much, Ray. It's always a pleasure, mate. And like, like the rest of us that come and tour every year, hopefully we can get back in 22. And if not, we'll still gun for 23. Um, and aside from that, really appreciate ACC and NZTA and yourself putting all these events together, even if they're live. Um, to keep getting that information out to motorcycle riders, um, to make sure that when they ride the bike, they think first, don't do first, because that'll save a ton of lives just by itself. And joining me once again, it is Matthew Day Gillett. Uh, hello, it's great to have you on the podcast, if only for a short story this week, Matt. Yeah, I'm always happy to be here, man. I always miss our yarns. Hey, now, we've both ridden that stunning brand new first adventure bike for Harley Davidson, the Pan America. And I just wanted to compare notes with you. Oh, cool. Yeah. I definitely let's start off by saying, I think the one that you rode was a better color. Um, you had a sort of a gray colored one, didn't you? Mine was black. And- yeah, it was Yeah, bl- black and charcoal kind of gunmetal gray. And it definitely, um, so when I first started doing stuff for Kiwi Rider, I was told um, never get like all black riding gear because you just don't see the contrast. And uh, seeing my photos of the Pan America that I rode that had a bit of grey in it compared to the Pan America you rode that was just all black, I definitely leaning towards that grey yeah, one. Right. Um, but I'd still folks. take the black one. Oh, would you? I'd still take the black one over the orange and cream one. Oh, see, I love the orange and cream one. I'm pretty sure um, the owner of Road and Sport and Harley Davidson, um, Barry Sproul. I'm pretty sure it's his personal bike that's sitting outside the dealership every time I go there at the moment. And I think it looks really great in person. Um, and it just sort of, I don't know, I'm a sucker for a white bike as well. So, um, but yeah, when I was taking photos of the Pan America, I had to sort of find the most contrasty color background. So um, my main photo on my um, site has it in basically a grassy field just to make it 
not be a black blob flying into the distance. Um, but yeah, what do you think about the styling after seeing it in person? Because a lot of people hated it seeing it online in person. I actually grew to actually quite like it. Yeah, when we first talked about it on the podcast over 18 months ago now, uh, we, we talked about that big square nose with that Daymaker headlight, and we didn't even know it was called a Daymaker headlight at the time. I didn't like the styling at the time. I thought that's an aerodynamic, that's as aerodynamic as a brick. Seeing it in person, it's a it's a lot less, I'm a big bike. It's more, um, does that make any sense? Yeah, it's a lot more compact. It doesn't look like it takes up a whole room. Um, it's, the bike's actually a lot more compact. And I found that that little sort of shark nose fairing actually deflected the wind pretty well. Um, like it's, there to do a job it's interestingly it's doesn't it's not as solid as it looks um that plastic there's definitely one of the areas where harley sort of actively saved weight like there's not heaps of brackets to keep it solid and locked in um but yeah i really got to like it there were a few things that didn't quite do it for me on that bike but the styling was one of those things that actually grew on me and i was like actually no this is cool i enjoy looking at this so for a while there i had that sitting in the garage beside the t7 and uh the t7 you know adventure bike where the the pan america is more adventure touring um i actually found the, the pan america a lot better to maneuver um especially sitting on it I found I could touch the ground a whole lot better on the Pan America than I can on the T7. Was that because of that special ARH system, the adjustable ride height that Harley built into the bike? We sort of well, that I mean, that was definitely a, a it was definitely a bonus. Um, but even when it was you know at a, at a decent height, there's a lot more height adjustment in the seat. You can get a super low seat, you can get a super high seat, and then the standard seat has two height settings as well. You, yeah, I think cool. we worked out you had about seventy five mil between the highest and the lowest seat setting. Mm, how did you have the seat set up? Did you have it at the standard height on the regular seat or the lower height on the regular seat? Standard height, regular seat. But then I found that I could I could flat foot. The, the the bike on both sides which meant that I could stay on the bike and do like a three point turn in my driveway well I can't do that on the C7 I've got to get off the bike to turn it around oh wow yeah so I had it in the standard seat low height setting and I could do the same didn't I don't quite have this width in my driveway to do a full lock U-turn on that bike um, and I wasn't particularly keen to try it because I had tiny people running around um, but it's, it's definitely confidence inspiring isn't it it's one of the most mm. Almost that's, accessible bikes um, in the class. Totally. That's one That's one um, phrase that I hate saying when it comes to testing tyres, testing bikes, bikes, confidence inspiring because, you know, everybody says it. But that's exactly what that bike was. I took it out to a, a, a bit of a quarry and it was quite loose underfoot and I found that I could, I, I could do things with that bike that I was scared to do on the T7 because I would probably drop the T7 because it was so much taller. Yeah, I had an absolute blast um so my sort of test route on it i did that um car feed a raglan coast ride um which i'm normally absolutely full throttle all the time on my bike and i sort of i fiddled around with the settings and i ended up leaving i think i still had traction control on it to an extent um off-road abs on and i was in the um second i think it was in just regular off-road mode and that bike just felt like a slightly heavier 
well, slightly physically bigger version of my bike, the way it just handled the corners, it slid nicely. It just felt very controllable, which was really surprising for a bike that size. I'd be scared to take that bike with no electronics for a ride because the um, the sport mode uh, was was brutal and, and actually a bit jittery to ride, you know, around town or on the motorway, where if you wound it back to... mean skids in the gravel with all the traction control turned off. I right? bet it did. <laughs> but in road mode, I actually found it had really nice manners. It was really nice to ride around in road mode. Um, did you what, 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 did you ride it... Did you have a go in, um, in rain mode? Yes, so I actually started out in rain mode because it was pouring with rain when I picked it up. Yeah, fine. Confidence is running. Didn't last one. It was very long. Um, but it is, it's what a rainbow is meant to be sort of thing. It's just that bit more dialed back, really cruisy, sort of just throttle on it. I found it was noticeably dialed back. Like I, I was, um, I think when I rode it in sport mode and then it started raining, I switched it to rain mode and then found myself kind of wailing on the throttle going, where's that power? Oh, that's right. It's in rain mode. Okay, cool. Um, but it definitely soothed the brow, didn't it? It definitely made you go, I feel safe. Yeah, especially when you know how much that bike costs. Like it's 35 grand or so with the ARH system installed. Like it's it's not a cheap bike compared to um, our wee machines that we've got at home. Um, it's definitely not. Did you get it on any twisties on the tarmac? Yeah, so um, if you remember when we did the Triumph Tiger Adventure ride, we did that beautifully twisty switchback going up Mount Perongia before we hit the gravel. So I redid that and it was so much more fun on the Harley than it was on my bike. And sort of, you know, my mentality is um, I love a small capacity engine because you can wail on it and just be 10 tenths riding all the time and it's fun. But on the Pan America, it just was so much fun um, because you had that power, but also there were those rider aids. So the traction control in there to make sure that on those slippery corners, uh, the bike didn't get too out of shape. Um, It was beautifully fun and surprisingly easy to flick from side to side what about you did you go anywhere interesting other than a uh, quarry (laughs) i did the rumutakas on the day i picked it up funny story so when i went to pick up the bike it was sitting outside the dealer and i went inside and i said hey ray kiwi rider podcast here to pick up the t7 uh, sorry it's a t7 the pan america and uh, he goes yeah you yeah, know no worries here's the keys let me take you outside and show you how it works so we're standing there with the proximity key and he's flicking the switch and nothing's happening he's pushing the button nothing's happening he goes i must be doing this wrong because you know we haven't had these bikes for very long let me go and, and check with the boss he goes inside he comes back out and he goes yeah, there's something wrong with this bike it's completely stone dead flat <laughs> so they took it around to the workshop plugged it in and, and charged it up for, for an hour and he goes uh, the workshop guy comes out and gives me the keys after a while and goes yeah you're gonna have to take this for a ride you're gonna have to go at least to carterton because um you know it needs to be charged I was like, well, looks like I'm going over the Rumutakas today then, doesn't it? <laughs> so I, um, I, fl- I got it into full balls-to-the-wall um, power sp- sport mode and just chucked it into those corners. And having that power on tap to just wind open the throttle and let the electronics kind of look after the back end of the bike um it's a lazy way of riding it spoils spoils you but man it's fun yeah that would have been great too because what afternoon you would have had the sun at your back not riding directly into it you would have had great fun going over the rumatakas actually there was no sun it was an overcast day which i thought i I quite liked the rumatakas on on an overcast day because you know that the tarmac is going to be consistently 
temperature, you know, consistent temperature the whole way over. Yeah. Uh, and it was about 15 degrees in Wellington, but then it got down to about seven degrees on the wider uh, upper side. Ooh. And it was chilly, but um, it, it kind of uh, it gave me a chance to check out the, uh, the heated grips, which were brilliant. It gave me a chance to check out kind of how much uh, temperature and wind that whole kind of fearing gets off you and I was toasty I was fine it was great yeah I was like, like they've definitely got it sorted in terms of adventure touring don't they like it's got all the amenities you could want so when I went and picked up the bike I had my winter gloves on um, and they were just um, like they were too much like I did have the heated grips but I found my winter gloves sort of you didn't need them you could have just I wore my summer gloves for the rest of the time I had that bike even if it was cold outside I just turned the heated grips on um because I did find with my big thick winter gloves um like there's a lot of buttons on that switch gear and it's quite hard to access them all with you got your thick gloves that's on. probably so let's talk about downsides because we know there are there's no such thing as a bad bike these days even you know if you're not a harley fan uh you can get on a cruiser and kind of appreciate it well i can anyway but yeah. bad things on the bike yeah they're designed to yeah be how they let's are. talk about bad things um and i kind of had to dig deep there's two things that stand out for me one of them yep too many buttons uh, there's a lot of electronics on that bike and they're catering to a market and that's great and I don't know how you would do it any better other than having say a touch screen um, display but there are a lot of buttons on that bike yeah and um, yeah, you can control everything and some of the buttons are redundant if you don't have um, certain accessories so the buttons on the right hand side for instance I think it was the right hand side they control the audio so if you have the Harley branded boom audio which is a center product um, it can connect to the bike and you have a whole lot of extra functionality that you don't have with your regular headset on. So I had my regular center on at the time and I could listen to, um, I got directions coming off the bike and that, but I didn't have music functionality. I couldn't control my music straight off the bike. You can with that specific headset. So that whole switch gear on the right hand side is redundant for a lot of people unless they buy into that specific product, which is kind of annoying. Um, but yeah, one other thing I found was um, I thought the radiator was horrendously vulnerable. What about you? Yep, I can see what you're saying there. Uh, it wasn't something that stood out to me, but now you mention it, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I've got a picture in front of me now, and it is just absolutely caked with mud. Um, and it's got this cooler unit on the real chin of it. Um, I can't remember what it's actually cooling, um, but it's like an oil cooler for some part of this engine system um and that and that's that's going to be picking everything oh, up off that when front i cleaned wheel. the bike off like i was meant to take it before we went into nationwide lockdown the day we went into lockdown was the day i was meant to take the pan america back so i ended up with it for an extra couple of weeks so i washed it a few times and it took a good couple of washes to clean out um the fins and get all the crap out of the radiator but i was worried just mostly riding it on gravel on that and all the stuff that flicks up um i've hold radiators before on press bikes and it's not fun um, and it was definitely a thing that if you're going to buy a pan america you're going to want to whack a radiator guard on this straight away if you've got any intention of doing lots of gravel riding it just seems it's that big and it's it's like a big net there to catch stones and it won't end well if you hold it my number two uh and it's it's kind of the only other bad thing about the bike my bike had um a center stand i don't know if they all come with the center stand or it's just that top spec that we were riding that had the center stand i found that great that was brilliant but because it had a center stand the kickstand 
that I would have expected, and on most bikes it's mounted underneath the left-hand foot peg, is further forward, like halfway up the engine. And it yeah, that's a Harley thing. That's a yeah, Harley. Okay, it, well, it yeah, just, so I, I could never find it. And and a couple of the times, because it was pre um, daylight saving, I ride home in the dark, park the bike, and because it was dark, I couldn't see down there. And I'm looking for the kickstand, and I just it was it was just awkward. Yeah, see, I found it awkward for another reason, like because I was riding it in day, because I don't commute and everything, so I had plenty of daylight. But I found I would go to put the kickstand down and i'd be very close or even sometimes i'd hit the gear shifter and i'd knock it into gear that's another thing yeah, exactly like if you're on a loose surface and you you've got it in neutral and you're trying to find the kickstand it, it'd be quite easy for i would assume a new uh, rider or a newer rider to that bike just snick it into first gear and suddenly the bike lurches forward yeah and then it falls down um, luckily it does have pretty good crash protection from factory it does have all those big crash bars and that um but yeah, it was, it's an awkward weirdness that is, it seems unnecessary to have that side stand where it is. Um, but it's a That Harley said f- though, uh, the things that I've just mentioned, you'd get used um, to them. they're minor things and you would get used to them. So if that's the bad things that I can find about a bike, that says to me that the bike yes. is good, right? Oh, there's not a hell of a lot there. Um, one of the things, um, okay, let's cover a couple of things that we loved apart from the engine and the power because basically the engine is the gem of that bike and it is phenomenal. Um, one of the things I really loved was the phone connectivity. So I chucked um, something up on the Harley app. So I had the Harley app and I had it connected to the bike and you can put navigation through the Harley app. It uses Google Maps and it can do point A to point B and it displays it on a full map on that big TFT display. So you got your speed and your revs and all the other stuff sort of around the periphery, but you have a great big map. Um, so it's like you don't, it almost almost eliminates the need to run a GPS or a river app or something like that. Um, but I found that phenomenally helpful. Um, like it's, it, you need to be able to plot multiple points um, in the app, which it currently doesn't allow you to do. But once they do that, that's you don't need a GPS on that bike. Yep, that was brilliant. Um, what else did you have on your list of stuff you loved? Um, for me, it was actually really, really surprisingly comfy. Um, like, that was very good ergonomics, yeah, very comfortable. Yeah, my bike came set up, um, the handlebars were set too low. Um, they were set almost like a cruiser. So I just rolled them forward a couple of inches and they, it transformed it. Um, which was great. Um, but yeah, ergonomically, it was sound. The windscreen, I found sort of, I really loved it, but where I wanted it to be in order to get rid of the wind buffeting off my head was sort of halfway between the second and third adjustment. Um, not quite fully extended, but not quite down. Third adjustment? I didn't find a, th- I found one and two. Well, maybe it was just two adjustments. Maybe I skipped over the middle one. Maybe it was just two adjustments. Like, it was basically halfway between two of the adjustment settings was where I wanted it to sit. Um, and think I would have liked there. it just to be a, a fraction higher, maybe just get a, just a little bit more. Uh, I would have got all the wind off me, but yeah, um, not a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination. No. And it's easily fixed. Like um, there's accessory screens and all sorts. Like it's, it's a Harley. It's got an accessory catalog a mile long. Um, mm. But yeah, that was, those are the main things that, um, really really sold it for me was just the the electronics were great and it was comfy like i was having fantasies of 
doing our Molesworth trip again on it, which would have been like, would have been interesting doing the rainbow, but um, yeah, like. It's funny you say that. I don't know how to tell you this. I'm, um, I'm, I'm cheating on you. Huh? Uh, me and Todd, me and Todd are um, going to do the Molesworth on Labor, da- Labor Weekend uh, and we're taking the Pan America. You dick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, are you going to live out my fantasy for me then? Um, take plenty of pics, lots of video. Tell one, yeah. I'd love to come down there and do that with you, but I can't afford the ferry crossing. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, it gets worse, though. Not only are we taking the Pan America, we're taking the uh, V-Strom 1050 as well. Oh, so, that'll uh, be an interesting comparison. Because those bikes are really similar be. in a lot of ways, apart from price. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Um, so my initial thought was that they're not similar at all because, you know, 1050 versus 12, uh, 1250. But when you think about it, and... Um, and it was probably you that that pointed this out to me uh, a while back. They got the same, you know, wheel sizes. They're both to- top of the monte of what you know what their manufacturer makes in that class. Yep. And um, both are V twins. Yeah. Both have yeah nineteen seventeen inch wheels. Uh, they're both adventure tourers. They're not hardcore adventure bikes. That'll that'll be a really interesting um, experience. Um, question is, what are you going to be riding the most most of the way? Are you going to switch bikes up with Toddy? Or? We, we're going to switch. We're going to both ride both. Um, and so that way we can, you know, compare notes. But, um, yeah, that's uh, that's going to be a great ride. So we're doing that Labor Weekend. That episode on the podcast will hopefully, if I get everything organised, go live as the first episode of November. Oh, I'm going to have to hang out for that, man. I'm, I'm incredibly jealous, but I'm also really excited for you because that's going to be awesome. Final word on the Pan America. Uh, should you should should our listeners go for a ride on it? My my thing is yes. If you especially if you've never ridden a Harley before, this is as I said in my review, not your granddad's Harley. Go out and ride oh, it. Oh, for sure, it is completely just yeah. Forget everything you know about Harley. Just go and ride it, ignore the badge, and enjoy it for being an awesome sports to, uh, not sports tour, awesome adventure tour because it is. So there you have it. Sign up for a Ride Forever course and do it before the end of November. You're in the draw to win $500 to spend on motorcycling gear of your choice. Could be a new bike, could be some riding gear, new helmet, might be some maintenance. Whatever you reckon, go to rideforever.co.nz, sign up for that Ride Forever course, whether it be gold, silver, bronze, whatever, find something that suits your uh, your skill level and comp- uh, confidence level and competency level. And uh, go, on that website also you'll find uh, all the information you need to know on a finding a facilitator near you, uh, a, a motorcycle trainer that's, uh, so, you know, that's all geared up to do Ride Forever and deliver the Ride Forever courses. Uh, so rideforever.co.nz thanks very much Ride Forever go to kiwirider.co.nz and check out the latest Kiwi Rider magazine a magazine made right here in New Zealand and absolutely free for you to read online uh, check out motonz.com as well that's my website and uh, everything that I do motorcycling goes up on there and Matt's website on throttle.co.nz Next week, Todd and I are off on the Suzuki DL1050, the V-Strom 1050, the new one. 
and of course the Harley-Davidson Pan America to go check out some stellar roads in the Upper South Island. So don't miss that. Otherwise, this is Kiwi Rider Podcast. My name is Ray Heron. If you want to get in touch, podcast at kiwirider.co.nz is the email address. We're on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Not to mention uh, TikTok. A few videos going up there. Uh, so we'd love to hear from you. Uh, keep in touch. Give us some feedback, good, bad, or indifferent. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, share this podcast with a writing buddy of yours. Keep your rubber side down, throttle on, and we'll catch you in seven days' time. <laughs>